Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bucklitz, and welcome back to the first Sunday of Christmas for the week of December 27th, 2020. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast. And wow, we have made it to Christmas and the Christmas season, and it's such an exciting time. I know for me, and I think a lot of people right now, it's just been really odd. I was just talking with some pastor friends of mine this last week and just kind of be mentioning, like, it's Christmas really soon, and it still feels like we're not anywhere near that because this is such a different Christmas in so many different ways. And even as I kind of mentioned and alluded to a little bit last week was we are in this Christmas that I almost feel is more Christmas-like than any other Christmas we've ever had. It is allowing us to really get into the Advent season, which we have just gotten through, and allowing us to really focus on this moment that when Christ was born, it was a big thing now when we look back upon it. But at that time, in that place, it would have just seemed like a young mother with a child who couldn't get into town to get a place to stay and ended up staying in the lower level with the cattle and the other animals that the house had, that the guest room had already taken, that this was just a young family. And we even get a little bit more emphasis of that this week in the gospel text. But before we jump into the gospel text, we have to look back on our Twitter question from last week, which was, in this Advent, are you allowing God to redirect you? Are you allowing God to redirect us as a church? And I got some interesting responses, and I think there's one that really kind of stood out this week talking about how this Advent season that we just completed, and even into this Christmas season, because of how COVID has kind of directed our lives a lot this year, it's forcing us to, instead of spreading ourselves so thin, focusing ourselves on specific people and focusing our energies onto specific things so we get less deluded, that we're being more intentional, if you want to put it that way, that this is allowing us to hear God in these more consistent characters, if you want to put it that way, where because we're interacting so much, God can speak, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think it allows us to think about in the church, yes, it's good having these large congregations, but is there also room within the church to be consistently working on making sure that we have small groups also? And I think that's a really interesting way of looking at this as well. As we are moving and transitioning, and as I kind of rambled a little bit about last week, talking about how the church is having to be transformed as we move forward, we also have to realize that we're not necessarily there yet. And so it's going to take some growing pains and struggles to get to that point. And so right now we're kind of in this weird in-between phase. And I think even as we look into this Christmas season and think about these different things, I think this is going to be something we're going to be wrestling with a lot as we move forward into 2021 and beyond. So let's just jump right into it. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 2 verses 22 to 40. And this is a text of Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus to be 
designated as holy for the Lord. The firstborn male to be designated as holy for the Lord, coming from verse 23. And so this idea that they're giving their first son to be this holy man. And we find out a little bit more about the character of Mary and Joseph by the sacrifice that they're going to bring, which is a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which would have been something very equivalent to a poor family, which is really interesting and was something that was talked about in Working Preacher this week by Caroline Lewis, talking about how this is an interesting correlation because of how much time Jesus spends specifically with the poor and the lowly to that this was the initial sacrifice to be able to bring them closer. But in this, while there, there is a man named Simeon who has been very loyal to God. And we get that the Holy Spirit rested on him, that the Holy Spirit was here initially with him. And that the Holy Spirit had let him know that he would see the Messiah before passing. And then we get this moment where he's holding the child and then starts getting this familiar phrase, at least within some different church circles, of my eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel, coming from verses 30 to 32. So this idea again of here the promise is being fulfilled of what has been promised and Simeon pretty much saying, I guess I can die now. I've seen the promise that what was told to me. But the key feature also here that Luke includes right at the end is in verse 36 to the end of our section here of the prophet Anna, who is also there, who has been in the temple and praying night and day and going through fasting after being a widow. And she begins to praise God with seeing the child and speak of looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So these prophets are seeing the power of God. And we then finally, in verse 40, the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. So this, okay, this is Jesus's childhood. We're already through it. We're moving forward. But really cool, powerful verse this week. The first reading this week is out of Isaiah chapter 61, verses 10 and 11, and chapter 62, verses 1 to 3. And this is reminding us of what we are looking for, the promise, essentially, one of the promises that God is coming to restore, to be this salvation. And we get these images of royalty being just thrown around and carrying this burning torch for us to be able to see through the darkness and bringing vindication and bringing glory. So the idea, and again, like we talked a little bit about last week, this easily idea of how we could have imagined a king, a victor, riding in on a horse, and that this is going to bring back Jerusalem for Jerusalem's sake, the salvation of Zion, this idea of bringing the people of Israel back. The psalm this week is Psalm 148, which would be all 14 verses. And this is a really, really cool psalm. It's a praise psalm. It is admiring the creation of what God has around us, going through the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens. And then it gets into just even the monsters of the deep, the hail, the snow, the frost, the stormy winds. 
listening to his command, which recently, at least where I am, suddenly we got snow. So that's been kind of fun. But this idea of all the weather and the mountains and the hills and the trees and the cattle and the birds. And it's somebody who is, you can tell, just singing the praise of God. And it's just in this complete love letter to God of how beautiful all this place is and that the intentionality of what God was trying to do and the harmony that God was trying to create here and that a lot of it, even in this fallen world, we can still see. Second reading this week is from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. This is really interesting because it's one of the few times that we get Paul really talking at all about Jesus being born of a woman but you can kind of understand that with being in the Christmas season, that this is probably partially why it was selected for this week. But it also talks a little bit about adoption in this brief little passage and receiving them in and thinking of it kind of like a mothering hen type of idea and how we are no longer a slave then. We are an heir. You're part of the family, part of the group. And an interesting image to be having here, especially as we have just gone through now essentially the dedication of Jesus and we're now looking at how is this all going to be moving forward. But really interesting short passage this week out of Galatians. So before we come and see how faith and science tie together, we have to do our shameless plug. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, discussions, like I've already brought up, I listen to these guys on a weekly basis. Having four different seminary professors just on their Working Preacher podcast, does this include the multiple different other biblical scholars that are included in their commentaries, like this week, Michael Chan who is another professor at Luther Seminary, helps with the Isaiah text. But along with the years of commentaries and other discussions there, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Before we jump really into the science, I think we have to understand a little bit of where I am trying to look and take this text. And then we'll get into some a little bit crazy things and then bring this all back together here. So we have the birth story that we heard this last week, and we have that coming together, the familiar story, the one that packs the pews every week. And it's interesting that now we don't have a ton of stories about Jesus growing up. This is after his circumcision, but this is kind of his dedication that we get here in the gospel text here out of Luke and how it's fulfilling a promise, the fulfilling of the promise that we have heard for Israel. And now we are getting two prophets, a male and a female, speaking of this in this text. Luke, I feel like, is really trying to show, like, this is one of the major reasons of how we know. We have two prophets right away at the beginning. Bang. This is fulfilling promises. And so then what do we have this week? We have Isaiah reminding us of these promises. And then we have how with these promises and with the goals of what was in mind, look at the harmony that was initially intended. This is what God was striving for here on earth. He was striving for this beautiful creation and we fell. But we can still see the beauty of it and remembering that 
this is also signs of the promise that he has made will continue to happen. He fulfills his promises. And then we get the Galatian text reaffirming this, reaffirming that we are adopted brothers and sisters of Christ. We are all in this together, that we all have come. Even the Son of God has been born of woman like all of us, so that we're all connected together. This restoration, this restoring of the glory, fulfilling the promise to restore the people of Israel. Restoring is kind of the image and the word that I think about. And so when I think about that word and trying to think about it in this perspective, especially from Simeon and Anna, talking about that they were seeing it in their lifetimes, that they have been promised to seeing it in their lifetimes. And where can I see this around me that people could have said, I've seen this happen in my lifetime. There's two examples that come to mind. First, it's the classic story of wolves. We've talked about this plenty of times before on even Aldo Leopold kind of forecasting in his great San County Almanac talking about how when you take the top predator out of an ecosystem, what that is going to impact the ecosystem. And the example becomes Yellowstone National Park and how elk had kind of run over the mountains. They were having erosion problems. They were having river problems. There was lots of issues and the amount of money that was projected to go into try to do damage control was in the billions. And then suddenly the introduction in the mid to late 90s of wolves into Yellowstone has completely changed the ecosystem. And there's been a couple different theories on how that is happening, but they have saved the government millions, if not billions of dollars by just simply introducing and bringing back the top predator, this keystone species in a lot of ways is a term we've talked about, a species that does more impact than you would initially think, or the trophic cascade being turned over, that you now have the top predator again, and it shuffles everything down on the connections within the food web. What was the top predator is no longer the top predator because a new top predator has come out, and that affects everything going down. And I'll even attach another article down below how there has been some recent studies showing that even here in northern Minnesota in Voyagers National Park, that wolves seem to be having impact on where there is forest and where there is wetland based on what lakes they're around and the number of beavers that they're taking out. Because beavers are these, again, keystone species can drastically change a habitat. And if a beaver is building a dam and suddenly a wolf takes out a beaver, that changes if that dam is going to be successful. And so it changes the landscape around where that wolf is and where that beaver was. And vice versa, if the wolf doesn't get the beaver and this beaver does make a dam, how it's suddenly physically moving water and changing the ecosystem moving forward. 
some really interesting studies, and that's fairly recent out of Scientific America. So I'd highly recommend, it's a short little interview, kind of talking with one of the lead researchers about some of their stuff on this study. It's really, really fascinating. The other example, again, is a North American example, but it's the sea otter. And sea otters, one of their major dietary things that they eat is sea urchins. And sea urchins are a needed necessity, a crustacean that will eat sea kelp is one of their big ones. They kind of are cleaning up algae around. But when we, especially in the early 20th century and late 19th century, did a lot of fur trapping, one of the big valuable furs, especially on the coast, was sea otters because it is a very nice fur. But when you reduce the amount of sea otters in the ecosystem, it allowed there to be more sea urchins. Now, sea urchins, again, like I stated, they're not bad in an ecosystem. It's a natural thing that they be there. But the problem is, is now you have disrupted the balance of the ecosystem. They then will eat more of the roots of these sea kelp. Sea kelp are essentially like a big seaweed that we get specifically on the Pacific coast along this Pacific Northwest, but even into California, pretty far into the Bay Area. But with that, these sea kelp can grow up to 100 feet tall. And so when you are having sea urchins eating where they're anchored and that it disrupts the amount of sea kelp in the sea kelp forest, the issue then that you're running into is one, there's less food for the whole environment because there's a lot of fish and other sea life that uses that for protection, for food, things of that nature. The second problem that we run into is that photosynthesis. It's using photosynthesis to create energy. So again, now you're taking an energy source out of the ecosystem along with that it's also being a carbon sink for different greenhouse gases to be able to be sunk into the ocean and being able to bring that as a carbon sink. But the final thing that a lot a good sea kelp forest can do is prevent erosion on beaches. Because when the water is coming in in a tidal force, it's going to have to go through all these sea kelps. And that thus sucks up energy, absorbs energy, making it weaker so that you don't have the erosion on the beaches. You lose that and suddenly you have harder waves hitting the shore, chewing up the land. With bringing back and working on restoring some of that, you have restored that balance. But in that same breath, because it's been so long since we've had healthy levels of sea otters, there has been adjustments. And a lot of like humans have gotten used to like shellfish fishing and different things of that nature, which do not do as well when you have more sea kelp or they're harder to get than they were before. It all gets into these food webs. And we've talked about this type of stuff before, that sometimes our ecosystems are like Plinko sticks. We don't know when we're pulling the stick that it doesn't look like it's making a ton of impact. But when you finally pull the wrong stick and it goes kerplunk, which is another name for it, it destroys everything that was there. It destroys this beautiful harmony of relationships that was there. 
It destroys what we hear the psalmist singing this week in the psalm, in Psalm 148, this praise psalm, because no longer is that there trying to work toward this equilibrium, which is impossible to be perfectly at all the time, is what we are striving for. That you have this healthy ecosystem, understanding that there are gives and takes to both, and we need, but we need them. Because if we totally get rid of the one, over time, it's going to destroy this ecosystem. And thus, it's not good for anyone. Whereas if we have too many sea otters, it allows that the ecosystem is so dense with sea kelp, the sea otters won't be able to maintain their living because there won't be enough sea urchins for them to eat. There's a constant balance that they're trying to find. Just like if there are too many wolves, you will have natural die-off of wolves because there's just too many in the area. It's beyond the carrying capacity. It's the trophic cascade of understanding how these food webs are lined up and how we need all of them. And and there's lots of ecologists and biologists who study this specifically so that things are healthy, so that if you are trying to restore something, you have to understand the relationships that are there and what relationships do you need to strengthen to be able to restore this habitat. Is there enough characters there to be able to restore the habitat, or is it transitioning into something else? When we look at this text, Jesus is entering into our world to help restore and bring us back by being able to establish this relationship with us, this deeper relationship, helping to continue to bring the Holy Spirit closer to us to help us better understand who the Father is, the creator of this place. Help us to be able to be more connected to that. And through those connections, hoping to have us have this better understanding of who God is so that we can better understand the vision of what was trying to be held here. To understand the ecosystem in itself, the connections that are there to go for the restoration that God is striving for us to have. The restoration of relationships, the restoration of appreciating his creation, the understanding of being connected with our creator at a deep enough level like Simon is, that when the Holy Spirit is then communicating, you will see the Messiah and that not only that part of it, but the part of it of this is the Messiah. It's very similar to the balance of you need sea otters in this ecosystem. You need wolves in this ecosystem, but they can't be the most abundant thing in this ecosystem. It will not work. Christ coming in was a step. First, it fulfills the promises that have been laid out to the Israelites for generations. But it's also fulfilling those steps of making us and bringing us closer and closer in connection with God. One of my pet peeves that I have about Christmas is that we have 12 days of Christmas. And so often, we maybe get five. We maybe get Christmas Day And Christmas Eve pretty much gets into it. Maybe one Sunday of Christmas. With the weird year that we are in, this 12-day season of Christmas, this odd year that we get two Sundays of Christmas, I really pray and hope 
that we're acknowledging that and holding on to that, that we are taking in and trying to get all we can out of this year of Christmas to start continuing to work on that relationship, to better understand the restoration work that God has for us, to better understand the relationships that we have around us and the impact that we make on them. Jesus made a huge impact on not only Mary and Joseph, but now if we look through the Gospels, it's a gospel of impact, of look what the impact of Jesus being. Here we see it with Simon and Anna, but in our own lives and even in this time, where are we making significant impact? That's your Twitter question this week. Where right now are you making significant impact? Because we are struggling to be able to be together as a whole church. And there's still ways that the church is making impact. But we also have to remember in this that Jesus, even as a child here, is making impact. And we even get in the Galatians text this week from Paul reminding us that we are all together. We are all under this one big mother hen of God that has adopted us. And how are we then going to make impact on our brothers and sisters? How are we going to make impact on the world around us if we are around the big mother hen? Because hens and chickens still drastically impact their environment. Are we going to be observant like we talked about in Advent and listening and keen and aware? Or is that all out the window now because Christmas has come? Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you in this season, in this time, that just because we got to Christmas, this is not the time that we then relax. This is the time that we dig deeper. We realize and understand the impact of what we are able to do with one another. We have started to understand in looking around us the impact that a wolf has on the ecosystem and how it can redirect and change an ecosystem and increase the health of an ecosystem. We have realized that with the sea otter, that if we eliminate sea otters, an environment struggles to the point of extinction. And yet when we bring back sea otters, it prevents that. It helps rebring life even through population control in this case in our own lives how are we bringing life into our ecosystems that's your second twitter question how are you bringing life into your ecosystems there is plenty of places where we can turn to places of life sucking places that sucks the life right out of you the amount of negative content or negative vision negative perspective on what's going on We have to understand that we can be the light like we talk about through Advent and Christmas all the time. And we get into Epiphany early here in 2021. We will continue on that path. Realize that we can be an impact like a sea otter to an ocean environment. But we also have to be listening enough to know where the restoration is and to understand the impact that we can have. As we move into 2021, starting next week, as we have closing the book on year three of this podcast, I appreciate all of you listening. I want us to really contemplate and consider how do we impact our ecosystems around us? How can we make them better? 
Because when I started this podcast three years ago, that's what this was. This was my rebellion against the church and saying we need to bring more science concepts and science ideas into the church. There's still a long way to go, but I'm seeing progress. We all have little ecosystems around us. So what is your impact going to be? Because we need to hear your voice too, so that we can understand our Father's voice when he's calling. Because you have the spirit of your Father inside of you. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science. We'll see you next year.